chapter 17. Yeah, you've got it. Good. It's a little lengthy, so bear with us. If you're in our Bible reading schedule, you read this recently, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the book, by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Notice, I have commanded. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, check this out, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go, and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. I'm just going to take that verse 9 as our text. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. I want to preach to you this morning with God's help on a message entitled, Be Prepared. Be Prepared. Let us pray. Reverend Tuig, sir, please pray over our message and messenger. Amen, amen. You may be seated. need you to be truthful with me. Not that you aren't, but hopefully. In this moment, I want you to think about my question. When you woke up this morning and you came to church, did you think today is definitely the day that Jesus is coming back? I'm going to be honest, I did not think that. I did not think about that. Now, there's a scripture in the Word of God that says this. 
At such an hour as you think not, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Meaning, in a day, just like today, when we weren't thinking about his coming, so the second coming shall be. So shall the rapture of the church be. Which means Jesus could come back at any moment. And those who are not born again will be forever lost. The Bible said God would send them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie and be damned that receive not the love of the truth. Now that's serious to me. That's eternally weighty to me. And it's hard for most Americans to understand that there is an active persecution going on in the church today. Believers in China, Uzbekistan, North Korea, parts of Mexico, parts of the Philippines are being arrested and put to death for their belief in Christ. We think that persecution was something that was way back in the Bible days. But there are people dying for their faith in Christ today. There are people who are being arrested and fired. And all their goods taken from them today. Families still flee from these countries to come to America and find a freedom from fear and the ability to worship God without concern that they would be arrested and put to death. Yet here's their testimony. When they come to America and you talk to them and they explain that they've been through persecution, they'll say this, persecution was a blessing. Here's what one man said. He said, before I was persecuted, I was lazy about my Christianity. But when the persecution began, I had to get ready. I had to be prepared. I didn't know when they would bust in the doors and arrest us. It has strengthened me. And that word, prepared, it's a word that doesn't apply to many Western Christians today. Today, so many of the church, when you think about it, to them, Christianity is about material blessing, prosperity. Hey, serve God, and God will what? Bless you. You already know it, don't you? And the big promise, which is really, it's, it's, it's really counterfeit. It's really ingenuine. Serve God, and everything will be better. But that's just not biblically true. People who began to serve God in the Bible times, we find that they lost their life. They lost their goods. They were beaten. They were persecuted. Everything wasn't better in the natural realm in the short term. Now, spiritually, oh, yes, they went to be with Jesus. But I don't think a lot of Western Christians think that way. As a matter of fact, some of those who have been persecuted, when they come to America, the word that they speak about us is unprepared. Unprepared. Think about it. A lot of folks can't make it to church if there's raindrops outside. 
if there's something better to do, if they don't have a, a cushy ride to church in somebody else's vehicle, they can't make it. To many, Christianity is a means to a more prosperous life, greater material wealth, a better social life. Man, look at all the people I can fellowship with. You know how real this is? Yesterday, we were inviting people to church. I met a guy at Schnucks. I said, hey, let me give you uh, an invitation to church. I gave him a card. He said, what free thing is in it for me? That was his question. And I said, Jesus can forgive your sins. And he pushed the card back and said, I don't want that. Do you see? The Western mindset is that Christianity has promised them a new car and blessings and your wife will, will lose weight and your husband will make more money and your breath will smell better. There's nothing about you may have to suffer. You may have to lose your life. It may cost you something. It won't be easy. And because nobody has been forthright with so many Christians, so many Christians have not gotten prepared. And they live out the parable that Jesus said. He said they're like the seed planted on stony ground. They spring up anon with joy. But when persecution ariseth because of the gospel, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, he said they shrivel up. They've got no toughness. There is no divine stick There is nothing within them that says, uh, I'm in this thing because Jesus died for me. And if he died for me, I can live for him. And if it's not easy, that's okay. And if it's not air-conditioned, that's okay. And if I don't have it comfortable, that's okay. Because Jesus didn't have it comfortable when he died and went to hell for me. Jesus didn't have it comfortable when he went up Calvary's hill carrying the cross for me. Jesus didn't have it comfortable when he did what he did for me. And so, when the material wealth or the social life or any of these blessings change or are decreased, then God has to go. The blessing and ease must stay. Don't you see it? Reverend Keckle, he's our CEO of the organization, he was teaching a class about the specter of communism, socialism, and the impact. And I, I think that sometimes people thought it was purely a political thing. But really, it's not. Because what socialism and communism intend to do is take away your freedom. And in promising you something, a handout, you have to meet their requirements. That's one of the reasons why our Bible college, it doesn't seek accreditation from the government. Because if you accept government money, then you've got to accept government rules. That's one of the reasons why I haven't availed of Google's $10,000 a month free advertising for churches. Because you have to promise that you will hire homosexuals. And I'm not going to promise to do something that's against the Bible. Amen. When he taught that class, some interpreted it as merely a political view. But the reality is there's a spirit 
that seeks to control others, to emasculate mankind, to enslave and to bring into bondage human beings, to remove the freedom to choose Christ. The many government handouts come at a cost. Our freedom. We must meet certain criteria to be eligible. If you want the government grants, then you've got to do what the government says. And when people get used to, now follow me, when they get used to getting the free stuff, they will be more inclined to go along with whatever is required to make sure they don't lose the stuff. Let me give you an example. How many of you, now don't point to them, you know somebody that's on disability and they get a check. Yeah, I'm going to go mobile, come on. And so that check that they receive every month is so-and-so amount. And the government says, you cannot work so many hours. If you make any more than whatever the little pittance is that they want to give you, then we're going to take your check from you. And so what happens? Those folks lie about it, go on the side. I don't know how many times people have come and said, hey, Pastor, you got something I can do on the side? Now, I don't want to report it to the government because then they'll take my money. What they're saying is, I will, I will violate my conscience. I will lie about what I'm doing to make sure I still get this money. Do you see this? That's about money. What if it's coming to your soul? What if it's, we're going to kill you if you don't give up your faith in Christ? What if it's, we're going to beat you, we're going to put you in jail, you're going to lose your job unless you say, it's all right for men to marry men and women to marry women. It's all right to uh, whatever it might be, and it violates your Christianity. This is already happening in Canada. There's already in Canada, the preachers can't preach against homosexuality, can't preach against certain things. They call it hate crime. Now listen, we're not... I'm using that as an example, but we don't, I don't think that it's right as Christians to single out a particular sin. That's just as wrong as it is to be a fornicator, having sex outside of marriage, or an adulterer, having sex with somebody else's wife, or, or you being married, having sex outside of your marriage. It's all the same sin. Pornea is the original Greek word. It all means the same thing. Any pornography, adultery, Casual sex, sex with someone you're not married to, homosexual sex, it's all sin. Here's the thing. I know that. I don't want you to die and go to hell. If I know that you're involved in it and I don't warn you, then your blood's on my hands. And so God says, hey, son of man, lift up your voice and warn them. Now, if you tell them and they don't do anything about it, the blood's on their hands. But he said, it's your job to warn them. Now, what the government wants to do is to shut us down so that we no longer warn you, so you die and go to hell. And I'm not willing to do that. I'm going to tell you something at the end of this sermon. Stay with me. And so, we fight this. But we are not the first to pass through these times. You ever hear somebody say, these are unprecedented times. You ever hear that? And sometimes we go through stuff and we think, wow, it's never been like this before. But we're really just fooling ourselves. It would be more appropriate to say this. There's nothing new under the sun. 
Because you can look back in the Bible and find governments that persecuted Christians. That's all what the, the, the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles shows us. There were good kings that promoted Christ, and there were kings that promoted Baal and idolatry. And there were kings that forced their, their people to bow to Baal or to bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar made in the book of Daniel. Do you see this? Do you, do you sometimes separate and, and segment the Bible and our present life and don't understand that the political things that were happening there were meant to teach us so that we don't fall into the same traps today? Now listen, I, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to advocate for one political party over the other. Here's what I think. I think if I teach you about Christ, God and the Word of God will inform your decisions about who you vote for. Amen? I believe that. Now, we're not the first to pass through these times. Other believers had to live under a government that was contrary to faith in God, and they survived or kept faithful unto death. We can too. But if you are more than a superficial, surface individual, and you thought at all about our times, then maybe you thought, God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when they lock up the churches or force us to do something that's contrary to our beliefs? What's going to happen? Are you going to be locked up? Are, we going to, are you going to come one day and the preacher's gone and they're going to have some kind of crazy, well, he wouldn't do what the government said, so we had to lock him up. And we, we labeled that church a cult. That's what they do in China today. Today. There are pastors that, that are locked up in jail for years on end for nothing more than preaching the gospel because they would not join the government church. Elijah, see all of this, it really was part of the message. It's there. That's what Elijah was living through. Now, I want you to think about this. Sorry, I'm doing it again. Elijah lived in a time where Ahab was king. Ahab had a wicked wife by the name of Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel were filthy, despicable, idolaters. Jezebel had hired 400 priests and 450 prophets of the devil. Jezebel, government, was paying for these priests and prophets of the devil. Now, here's what happens. When the government, all nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. That's what the Bible said. So when the government begins to sanction evil and sin, it's not long until the judgment of God comes upon the nation under which it's being governed. Now Elijah's seeing this going on. So what does Elijah do? Elijah was concerned, so Elijah does what a concerned believer should do. Elijah prays. Christian, if you're not praying for our nation, if you're not praying for our leaders, you need to repent because, number one, God said to. Number two, if you think, if you don't believe in the power of prayer, then how can you even say that you're a Christian? God says, call unto me and I will answer. We need to pray. Now, I don't know. Judgment could come in the next five years. Or maybe if the people of God rise up and pray and seek God, God will push it off and give us 
50 more years. Maybe some of our children and grandchildren will be spared the judgment of God. Maybe we, if we can have revival, can push it back a bit. Elijah prayed. Now, I don't know. I can imagine Elijah praying on his knees. God, our nation serving Baal and, and, and Ahab and Jezebel are trying to take the minds and hearts of the people away from you. And God, won't you do something? And God turns it around and says, Elijah, won't you do something? Won't you do something? And Elijah, so what do you want me to do, God? You see, be careful when you pray. Because you may be the answer to your prayers. Sometimes people come and they say, um, Pastor, I think that you should give more to the poor. What they're saying is, I don't want to give, but I want you to take the church money and give. Which is like Elijah. God, I don't want, and I don't know if he said this, but God, I want you to do something, but just don't ask me to do something. Now, in essence, the church has no money except what people give. And I'm I'm trying to get away from that, but this is the illustration for the day, all right? If people have a need, then we should be the one that meets it. Amen? We've got a little group in our church called the Band of Givers. When there is a need, if somebody comes and says there's something going on, I'll text them, hey, do you want to to help? And they'll give. And sometimes we've helped with a funeral. We've helped with with somebody needed whatever it was. Now, you know, if everybody comes and says, hey, pastor, help me out. And sometimes i got to say, well, there's nothing there to help you. Amen. Sometimes I have it. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes I'll give. Sometimes you'll give. That's the way God intends. So Elijah prayed, and God said, you do something. Elijah said, well, God, what do you want me to do? You go to that king, and you tell that king it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Now, so Elijah understood, and God understood, that to get the attention of the people, there had to be a judgment. Sometimes parents understand this. The only way that the child will respond is if you spank them. Is that still allowed? Maybe not. Maybe that's why we have a wild generation now, anyhow. We understand that in our lives. Sometimes the only way that you respond to the boss is if he docks your pay. It hurts you. And so the judgment was going to come upon the nation... But here's the thing. Elijah was in that nation. And so Elijah was going to have to go through it too. Which, do you see the relevance yet where I'm taking you? We're living in a nation that needs revival. We should be praying for our nation. God may send us to be the one. He should. Every one of us should understand. We have not only a, a, a responsibility to pray for our nation, we have a responsibility to reach our community. Don't just say, Pastor, you invite them. You invite them. You witness to somebody. You tell somebody. If you really believe heaven and hell and eternity is real, then shouldn't we be persuading them? Shouldn't we be telling them? Shouldn't we be letting them know, hey, listen, if you don't get right with God unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Or is Christianity just something that makes us feel good, that we can check off the God box, and all I'm concerned about is I don't want to die and go to hell. Let everybody else perish. Can you even be a a Christian that way? 
And so Elijah said, all right, God, and he went in. Now, Elijah had to live through the same judgment. And so when we pray and we ask God, God, do something, part of what God may do is that he may bring judgment. Maybe there will come a time where a loaf of bread is 30 bucks and only the elite people can afford it. Maybe there will come a time when uh, there's no more gas to be able to take joy rides down where we want to. Maybe there will come a time when we're facing difficulties. Preacher, you're being gloom and doom. I'm just sharing with you from the Word of God what they went through, what is very possible that we could go through. I pray not. I'm trying to push it back. But from the examples of the Scriptures, this is what we see happens when a nation that does not serve God. Now, here's the good news. In the midst of that nation that wasn't serving God, Elijah was. And while the nation had a judgment brought upon them by God, God had a place prepared for Elijah. And the Bible said he commanded him, Elijah, I want you to go down to the brook Cherith. And I can imagine Elijah saying, but God, there's no drive through there. There's no restaurant there. There's no crops there. How are you going to feed me? But Elijah knew one thing. He said, if God tells me to do it, I just better do it. Now, that's a good thing to go by, amen? If God tells you to do something, you just better do it. You might not always understand the, the reasoning beforehand, but if you just do it, God works it out. So Elijah went down there, and when he got down there, there was water from the brook that he could drink from. And around the breakfast time, here comes this raven, and the raven circles down, and he drops off some bread and meat. Now, I don't know. I like to think about this, though. Maybe the raven got it from the king's table. Maybe every day that raven flew in and got the hot bread that was meant for Ahab and that hot uh, uh, barbecue that uh, the shepherd just warmed up for, for Jezebel. Said, not today, devil. Amen. <laughs> flew it on in. That was the first Uber Eats. Amen. <laughs> flew it on in and dropped it off for, me, for Elijah. And Elijah said, man, I didn't know I'd be eating this good in the middle of the judgment. He's feasting on the best that there was. And he got kind of comfortable there. The Bible said he was there many days. But then the brook dried up. Sometimes we get comfortable in a situation and God can only push us out of it when circumstances become not so comfortable. All of a sudden you get a diagnosis Something's going south, and you think, man, you know what? Maybe I should have gotten married to this woman I've been living with for 10 years. Maybe I should have been paying my tithe. Maybe I should have gone to church instead of sitting here watching the, uh, the football game. Something comes up, and all of a sudden you think, man, maybe I should have. God lets circumstances change, and the brook dried up, and maybe uh, lunchtime, uh, Elijah was looking up, and there was no Uber Eats that day. There was no delivery. Pizza man didn't come. The raven didn't deliver. And he said, what's going on? And God said, I want you to go down to Zarephath. And here's what I wanted to point out to you. We talked about it in our home group. I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, when Elijah gets there, I've always felt awkward about this portion of Scripture. 
Because Elijah gets there, and when he gets there, there's a woman, and she's got the last bit of food, last bit of flour, last bit of oil, and she's making a cake to feed her son, and she's going to die. And Elijah the prophet shows up and said, hey, go ahead, you do that, but first give me food before you feed your son, before you feed yourself. Now I look at that, and I say, awkward. Amen? Man, alive. But when I read this the other day, it made a lot of sense. Because God said, I want you to go there. I've already commanded the widow woman to feed you. So she already knew, he's coming. And I wonder, I wonder if she wasn't trying to get the food made up so she could eat it before he got there. Amen. <laughs> so hurry up, hurry up. We got to get this done. God said the prophet's coming. If I got nothing to get him, I got nothing to give him. Amen. Come on, let's eat up, boy. <laughs> but before she could get it done, that old prophet had to show up. Man. And she knew what he was there for. God had told her. Amen. And yet the prophet gently encouraged her. Hey, go ahead, do it. It's going to be all right. Listen, that meal, that, that cruise of oil, that container of oil, and that little bit of meal that you have, it's not going to dry up. It's not going to go away. It's going to last all the way through if you just obey. If you just obey. Let me ask you something. What is it in your life that you've held off on obeying? As a preacher, I hate really talking about money because then, you know, you get that label put on you. He's all about money. Then I thought about this. I said, God, there's a bunch of people you've already talked to, and they just need that little encouragement. Hey, do what God said to do, and he'll bless you. Amen? Pay your tithe. Do what God said to do. He'll bless you. And so the Bible said that Elijah was there and and um, the food that they had from the widow, it, it lasted many days. And we know that eventually at the end of the three years, that Elijah showed up. Now get this picture. The king, Ahab, at first when Elijah said, listen, it's not going to rain, the king was like, yeah, right, whatever, Elijah, get out of here. One month, three months. Six months, first year, no rain, crops drying up, animals dying, two years, no rain. And they said, we got to find this dude. And they started searching for him. They went to all these nations looking, hey, find that guy that said it's not going to rain because we need him to get back here. We're going to kill that dude. He must have put a curse on us. We got to get some rain. And they sent to all these nations looking for Elijah, looking for him, looking for him. But they couldn't find him. And at the appointed time, Elijah appears to Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was one of the servants of Ahab, and he was a good guy, kind of. Obadiah says to Elijah, oh, man, Elijah, you're here. I can't believe you did this to me. Because I'm going to go tell the king that I saw Elijah, and then God's going to take you away, and he's going to kill me because you're not there. He was, he was not the most bold, courageous man in the world, was he? And Elijah says, don't worry, I'm going to show myself to the king. And Obadiah said, hey, remember, I have taken care of the prophets of God. I fed them. I put them in a cave. And I gave them uh, bread and I gave them water all during this time. Now, i got to ask something real quick. What good is a prophet in a cave? 
What good is a messenger locked up where he can't get the message out? What good is a preacher in a place where he can't preach? What good is a Christian locked into their apartment not talking to anybody? Only coming out for Sunday service and then quickly going back in and being careful that nobody else knows about your Christianity. Not much good, amen? Elijah showed up. Now, I want you to get this because this is important. I I have not lost what we're aiming at. The king wanted to kill Elijah, but Elijah was willing to show up. And here's the deal. You only truly believe what you're willing to die for. Let me say it again. You only truly believe what you're willing to die for. Elijah's showing up. We're saying, all right, I believe God's going to do something. God's going to protect me. This king's been looking everywhere to kill me. But I truly believe. Now we know what happened. Elijah showed down, had a showdown on the mountaintop. 850, 400 priests, 450 prophets, or vice versa, uh, of Baal, 850 total, one prophet of God. Elijah just kind of mocked him. Yeah, go ahead. You make, a, you make an altar. You get a, 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 an oxen. You slay it. You call your God. Whoever answers by fire, let him be God. And they made a, a, an altar, and they put their oxen on it, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they cut themselves, and they bled on it, and they danced on it and said, oh, Baal, help us. And Elijah mocked them. You might need to cry, uh, call a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's out hunting. Can you imagine this? This guy that everybody's trying to kill, and he's not making it. You would think, Elijah, tone it down, man. Don't you know they're trying to kill you? Don't, don't, don't poke the lion. Elijah wasn't worried, was he? He said, cry a little louder, wake him up, whatever. And when he was done, he said, all right, guys, my turn. And he puts the, uh, picks up the altar stones that were broken. He replaces that symbol, symbol of prayer and death to self. He puts the oxen on it and he prays. He said, and, and then he's asked for water to be poured on it. Barrels and barrels of water so everybody would know this is God. It wasn't some magic trick where they slipped a little uh, spark underneath it and made it come alive. They poured barrels and barrels of water. And then he prayed and said, God, would you show these people that you have called me to turn their hearts back to you. God, will you answer by fire? I think it was a 63-word prayer. And as soon as he was done, the fire of God came down and it burnt up the oxen and it burnt up the wood and it burnt up the stones. And the people all stood back and said, Oh, God, he's the real God. He's the real God. But it wasn't from their heart. You would think they would revolt against the government, Jezebel, Ahab, the wicked people leading them into idolatry, but they didn't. Now, be careful. I'm not calling for a revolt against our government. I'm just preaching this, all right? Turn me and they'll arrest me for sure. It may happen one day, but just give me this disclaimer, amen? Follow what I'm saying. But they did not until when Jezebel heard what happened. She said, I'm going to kill you 
Elijah, and Elijah ran. He ran. He got so discouraged. He went as far as he could away the wrong direction. An angel found him there. Said, go ahead, take a nap. Gave him some food. Eat this. You're tired. You're hungry. You can't think right. Woke him up after a while. Said, eat some more. Go back, take some more rest. Now keep on going. And eventually Elijah got out there and God spoke to him and said, what are you doing here? You believed me before. Why don't you believe me now? Elijah, what are you doing here? And he sent him back. Here's the thing. I got, I, I got to get to you. Get ready, musicians. We're getting ready to stop. God, he doesn't always give us a one and done victory. We got to fight it today. You got to wake up tomorrow and fight it again. You got to do it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and next Sunday and next month and next year and the year after that. Now, I told you at the end of the sermon, I was going to share something with you. The night I got saved, I've shared my testimony before, but there's a couple things I don't always share. One, that night, 19 years old, drinking and drugging, God began to deal with me about eternity. And when he did, got my attention, I began to surrender to God. He told me this. He said, I want you, I want you to lift up your voice and not be afraid as you go through the cities. I want you to lift up your voice and not be afraid. And then at the end of that night, when I cried out to God, God asked me a question. He said, are you willing to die for me? First, I didn't understand, and I said no. And I felt myself slipping back. Then I understood. And he asked me again, are you willing to die for me? And I said, yes. Now listen, through the years I've thought about that and I thought, well, just a little quieter, please. I know that Christianity requires us to, to die to self. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But then as time progresses, I begin to understand maybe God's calling us to one day lay down our lives for Christ. Now here's the thing. Jesus died for me. How can I withhold my life from someone who gave his life for me? You're here today. Listen, I, I love you. I don't want you to die and go to hell. I, I don't want you to be a, a lukewarm Christian. But we only truly believe what we're willing to die for. And there's coming a day where we may have to stand up and say, you can take my life, but you can't take my Christ. You can take my family, you can take my job, but Jesus means so much to me, I won't give him up. You're here tonight, head today, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask you something. If you died right now, where would you spend eternity?
Look, I'm not asking if you got enough money and cars and, and I'm not promising material prosperity, not promising an easy way. But I can promise you this, if you come to Christ, there's a God that loves you. He loved you so much, He died for you. He went to hell for you. And He says, I want to deliver you from that pornography. I want to set you free from that anger and that prejudice and that hatred. I want to make you clean again. Will you surrender to me? If you mean that from your heart and soul, God can give you a brand new beginning today. You see, if you don't know if you died right now that you'd go to heaven, if you don't know where you're at, you're lost. That means if you die, you end up in hell in the lake of fire. God doesn't want that. We don't want that. But you've got to come and say, here I am. Forgive me and save me. Come into my life. It's time to get prepared. Because Jesus could come back today. Father, I thank you for each one that you brought today. And I ask now, God, Lord, as you draw them and you touch them, there are those today that don't know where they stand with you, that you would bring them to this altar, that they would surrender to you, that they would be saved. God, if there are Christians that have been just lukewarm and half-hearted, God, that you would reignite that passion that fire, that zeal inside of them. God, that they would come and say, God, you were willing to die for me. I'm willing to die for you. Father, I pray, accomplish your will. In this service, I ask in Jesus' name. These altars are open. As the Christians come, would you come? Would you come this morning?